everyone, and welcome to today's Seed World Strategy webinar. My name is Alex Martin, and I serve as the editor for Seed World. And today, I'm absolutely happy to be your host. As election season picks up speed, there's a lot of things that can ch change pretty quickly in a regulatory space. And it's hard to keep up with everything that might affect the seed industry. But today, we're going to be joined with four expert panelists to discuss midterm elections and their effects on the seed industry. Midterm elections can always look different, but in this midterm election in 2022, uh, coming up in a few weeks on November 8th is uh, election day, all 435 seats in the House of Representatives and 35 seats in the, in the Senate will be contested. So with so many seats up in the air, it means the, the regulatory atmosphere can change very quickly. Three things we're gonna to try to learn to and understand by the end of today's webinar are why midterm elections matter, what the potential ramifications could be for the seed industry with political changes, and what's on the horizon according to our crystal ball. Just so you know, we will be live tweeting during today's webinar. So if you'd like to join our conversation, please use the hashtag SWStrategyWebinar to connect with us. We'd also like you to know that today's webinar is being recorded and will be made available at seedworld.com following the proceedings. Um, also, since this is a panel discussion, we'd love to encourage you to ask questions when you, can't, uh, when you have them. I'll be sure to filter those questions to the correct panelists during our discussion. Now, let's bring in our expert panel. Uh, today, I'd like to present our four panelists. Joining me are Janae Brady, who is Senior Director of Governmental uh, Government Affairs with the American Seed Trade Association, Mary Kay Thatcher, Director of Public Policy at Syngenta, Laura Wood Peterson, owner of Laura Wood Peterson Consulting, and Bart Fisher, who is Co-Director of the Agricultural and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M. Thank you so much, all four of you, for joining us today. Let's go ahead and dive into some questions since we're a little bit tighter on time. I'm going to go ahead and stop our slide presentation so everyone can see our beautiful faces, and we'll kick off our questions. Bart, uh, my first question is for you this, this afternoon. Can you tell me why is it so important to keep up to date with midterm elections when working in the regulatory sphere? Uh, well, First off, Alex, thanks for having us on today. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I think that uh, that's a great a great question. I think naturally, uh, when we think about regulatory framework, we think of the presidential election year, right? Because it's the you know the person sitting in the White House who kind of sets the tone for the regulatory agenda uh, of, of of the executive branch. But the reality is is that the uh, is that the midterm elections do have a significant uh, influence. I think of you know a few of the things that that come to mind and. The other panelists uh, can weigh in here too, but you know one of those is oversight, right? So if we see, particularly on Capitol Hill, if we see a switch uh, in leadership on the Hill, which is certainly looking to be the case in, in the House and perhaps in the Senate, I think a lot of what we're going to see is a is a, a significant push for oversight, uh, and as that relates to, to regulation and means Capitol Hill, uh, taking a much closer look uh, because instead of having the same party in control of both. Uh, that the the legislative branch and and the White House, uh, you're gonna you could potentially see that uh, that that split, and so I suspect we're gonna see a significant focus on oversight. You know, another one that's more uh, in in Janae's lane as a former uh, Senate staffer too is 
you know, is on the role of, of confirming nominees, right? A lot of the nominees that come through the Senate for confirmation uh, end up in regulatory agencies. And so to the extent that there's a shift in the Senate in, in the midterms, you could also see a shift in, in the confirmation of nominees and, and the Senate, at, you know, and it, it can be directly in terms of who they confirm, but also indirectly behind the scenes and getting folks confirmed to those positions. You know, the Senate, uh, it gives the Senate a little uh, leverage there as well. And I guess the third, you know, that I would mention to kind of round it out is on the approach process too, right? I mean, ult- you know, ultimately Congress d- doesn't act on its own. It requires, you know, the president signing, you know, these things into law. But as part of that process, the appropriators exert a lot of influence over the you know, funding for these agencies. And, and in that process can also, uh, you know. Hey, I, I know uh, with the 2023 Farm Bill coming up, uh, you and I have already talked in previous articles before that midterm elections are kind of going to play a, a bigger role. How are you all at um, ASTA preparing for potential changes in both the House and the Senate? Well, thanks for the question, and, and I'll echo Bart's thanks for having us, us on. Looking forward to the conversation today. Um, a couple of things I'd point out from the ASTA perspective as we're keeping an eye on midterms and as we're positioning ourselves for the new Congress coming in. I think, first of all, uh, the most important thing is as we develop our policy and as we develop our proposals, uh, that has to be founded on good foundational policy. We're not building what our priorities are going to be based on who is currently chair or who is currently you know, on this subcommittee or or even who is currently in in Congress, we really just have to take a look at what are the needs of the seed industry? What are the sound policies that are going to help uh, our our producers and our seed companies have the certainty that they need to to make business decisions and and to support um, their customers moving forward? So across the board, you know, everything has to be based on sound and and good policy. Um, I think the second important thing that we're keeping an eye on um, uh, sort of is twofold. Uh, one, we have to support our friends that are on the Hill that are facing tough elections right now. We need to be able to keep them moving moving forward. Um, the other side of that is we know there, there's going to be shifts and there's going to be changes. Uh, you know, come January, we're going to have a lot of new faces on the Hill. Um, you know, Bart mentioned my time in the Senate. I worked for a, a chairman who retired at the end of 2020, who had been in Congress for, for decades. And um, as we lose some of that expertise, it's really important for the industry to take a look at new members coming in um, and to develop up new champions because we need folks to understand our policies and understand our challenges. And then we'll, you know, go go to bat for us as we're entering into to new farm bill uh, conversations and just sort of the timing of, of the 2023 farm bill. Um, we're not going to have a lot of time to build a lot of new champions, so we're really going to have to hit the ground uh, running and, and tell our story. Um, sooner rather than later uh, in the next Congress. Perfect. No, thanks so much, Janae. I, th- I think that's a good a good point to make is that it it's quite a short turnaround before you have to start thinking about that farm bill too. Um, Mary Kate, I know you you come from a, a different background than than both um, than actually all of our presenters coming from a company background. So I'm sure you you might have a different focus from year to year in the regulatory sphere. What's typically the biggest concern you have as we gear up for midterm elections in the coming weeks? Well, I think a big concern that probably all of us would share in is that, you know, a lot of the the people uh, that have been friendly to the agriculture industry and who have worked really hard on it are in toss up or very close races. And um, it's really hard to go in. You look at somebody like a Sherry Bustos from Illinois, the Quad City areas, who's 
been a great supporter of agriculture who decided to retire. You know, no matter who wins in that district, it's going to take a lot of effort, as Janae said, to get in there and educate them and help them understand, you know, how to be part of this family and, and their staff, too. But I also look at it and I think that, you know, when you really look at the toss ups, a lot of people that uh, have been moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans are many of the people who are in really tough races right now. You look at the problem solver caucus in the House that where it's a matching number of Republicans and Democrats that work together. And a lot of those people decided to hang it up or go elsewhere. They were defeated in the primary or they could be defeated here. So, you know, you can't go out in the public these days without people complaining that either we got right wing people or we got left wing people. But we don't have very many people who like to reach across the aisle. And unfortunately, I think that's going to get worse after this midterm election. Yeah, thank you so much, Mayor Kate. Um, Laura, like, like Janae, you, you also come from an association background, but I know you, you specifically work with the independent professional seed association with smaller, more small and medium sized companies as well. What's kind of been on your radar as you work, uh, as you, uh, look towards midterm elections? Yeah, thanks, Alex. I would probably pick up where Bart left off. Um, we're in two years left of a regulatory cycle, really in a couple of months, but if you work backwards on most regulatory clocks and add time spent for the oversight that's um, going to be happening from Congress of the administration, this is not a lot of time. And then you add a change of power in a farm bill cycle. Um, I would say the five issues for the seed sector, are the competition agenda, you know, we're over a year into the executive order implementation, but this is important for CIV. It's going to be expensive. And so what does that mean for Title II, where we just had an IRA pass and um, you know, when you look at a lot of the election analysis in terms of top issues, obviously inflation is number one, but be it abortion or crime or immigration, you know, climate change is not on that list like it was the last two years uh, in the presidential cycle. So that changes some of the question around um, priority and funding streams and what that means in the cover crop seed industry and really our sector as a whole. And I know we've talked a little bit about approps, but as a fourth issue, you know, long-term and short-term, we have a lot of issues. So our long-term research needs to our short-term, you know, dealing with the Mississippi River, you know, all this can be really challenging in a probe cycle where should Congress truly change, which I believe it will, um, you're gonna have a debt ceiling fight. It's just gonna be harder to uh, think about what the funding levels are and, and that's gonna be a challenge. And then of course, water is always a problem. We're in a major drought nationally and Western water issues are mega problematic. So uh, this is uh, something that's just not going to go away. Perfect. Thank you um, so much. I hope you all don't mind. I'm going to ask you all a little bit of an off the cuff question just based on some of the answers you all just get, gave. One thing that I heard from a lot of y'all is that it's it's hard because it's such a short time frame to make new friends if there are some turnovers in the, the House and the Senate. What's your recommendation for making friends in, in the House and the Senate when you might not know those people as well? How do you tell those stories very well? I'm gonna pose this to all of you and um, if someone would like to jump in, please feel free. Well, I'm just saying that I think oftentimes um, you meet with agribusinesses or with farmers and they kind of assume to get to know their member of Congress, they gotta come to Washington. And that's just really <laughs> backwards because especially now that we have more of a quote, family friendly Congress, they're often not here Mondays and Fridays. And when they are, they're just busier than busy. So, you know, I think people have to take better advantage of going to 
uh, town hall meetings. You hear all the time about people who go to some town hall meeting with their senator and three people show up. I mean, imagine that having the senator committed to be there for an hour and you get you get to spend it with uh, you only share your time with three people. So I think that's really, really important. Um, the other thing is, I think that oftentimes people come and they think one and done. I went, I introduced myself to my congressman, I gave it to you know, it's constant go back, remind them, be helpful to them, et cetera. But you cannot just think, okay, I went and introduced myself, I'm done. Sure, perfect. Thanks, Mary Kay. Um, Janae, I know this was something you chatted about a little bit as well. Do you have anything you'd like to maybe add? Others, when they have um, issues that, that come to, to light, we work really hard to be that resource. But at the end of the day, hearing from the boots on the ground, hearing from folks in the, in the country that are dealing with these issues, you know, firsthand and uh, in a, um, dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis, um, it's just so critically important, and and that message um, really does matter in helping to um, help members of Congress or or staff on the Hill understand why these issues are are so important. Um, the last uh, point that I would say on this as well is, um, you know, one of the big priorities of of ASTA um, and of agriculture across the board is is ag research. Um, and when you're talking to members of Congress that maybe don't think that they have a lot of ag in their in their district or in their state. Every state has a land grant university. Every state has uh, um, research institutions that, that are critically important to them, and they don't always understand um, what that ultimate research is, is doing for the ag industry. So there's always a connection, and it's always, uh, I think, really helpful at the end of the day, um, both to get your message across, uh, but also to add a little bit of support for why things like farm bills are important and to, to hopefully get, uh, you know, the support when it's time to really push those vehicles across the finish line. Alex, I, I was just going to jump in too, I, and uh, I piggyback off of what uh, Mary Kay and Janae both said. I com I completely agree. I think often the perspective, whether you're a producer or you're working elsewhere in agribusiness, you know, you look at DC and think, well, we have we have people there representing us, and it. I mean, it's true. The three ladies sitting on this Zoom are incredible advocates for agriculture in Washington, but. And I think this, you know, this kind of a, is along the lines of what Janae was saying. There's no substitute, though, for you telling your personal story. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, whether you're doing that at a town hall or in D.C. or or if they're calling asking you to come to D.C. Uh, to advocate on an issue, I think it's incredibly important for folks to to actually uh, engage in that in that process. And you know, having said you know, on the House side, House Ag Committee for eight and a half years as a staffer, you know, I could I can tick off you know, countless examples where one person, you know, one grower talking to a member of Congress moved the needle on an issue because the member just didn't know that. Uh, and instead of taking it for granted, you know, that producer you know, took the initiative to reach out and tell their story and it had a huge impact. And so um, I, I don't think, I, I think if we take, we, we take it for granted at our peril. And if I can just add on to that, you know, one of the things too, is we talk about, you know, just got out of college, they were on their parents' uh, uh, health insurance plan, and, and now they're, you know, on the government's health insurance plan. They have no idea what you pay for your family and three kids. Go back up there and tell them, hey, let me tell you how much I paid. Well, you know, they came back and with like six more co-sponsors in a matter of a couple of hours because they did. They boiled it down to something that the staffers understood, and they gave them the personal story. I can't overemphasize how important that is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that is fantastic advice. And all of you seem to be on the same page that it really comes down to focusing on that personal story. 
Um, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit um, to, to talk about kind of what you're anticipating you're going to see within the next couple of weeks. Um, this is another question I'd like to ask for all of you. Maybe this time we could go in order of uh, maybe Bart, Janae, Mary Kay, and then Laura to, to hear some of your answers. But what do you anticipate is going to be top of mind for policymakers in 2023 after midterm elections? Do you see any shifts from current trends? I know Laura mentioned that climate change is not necessarily on the mind, but um, we'll, we'll start with Bart and go down the line and see what y'all y'all think. So I think uh, I may throw out one process thing, you know, we're, you know, with the midterms, we're very much focused on the Hill. I think one time, you know, one thing we often, you know, kind of sidestep too, though, is that you have an administration who's very much uh, in tune too with where things are going. And so often you'll see administrations making course corrections in anticipation of the next presidential election based off what happened in the midterm. And so I don't want to lose sight of that too, because I am very, you know, uh, keen on seeing how that and, and that you know most certainly directly in, impacts where things go on on regulation. I think if we look a little further forward into 23, obviously we have a farm bill on the horizon. You know, one thing I'm focused on because it was the thing uh, we were focused on when I first uh, went to Washington as a staffer, you know, 12 years ago at this point. Uh, it was the, the last time Republicans came into power in the House, you know, the focus entirely was on the debt. And so, you know, we're at a, a stage where we're over 31 trillion in debt. Uh, we know we're going to ha have to confront the debt ceiling at some point in 2023. And so a huge background question is, what does all of that portend for 23? And I don't I don't think we know the answer because a lot has changed over the last 10 years. Uh, but the debt has more than doubled since then, too. And so that's always in the background. And I think it remains to be seen what impact that has. You know, more broadly in Laura, a number of situations where in 23, particularly we see a softening of commodity prices, you know, knowing that input costs are often, you know, pretty sticky uh, in terms of coming down. You know, it, it could put uh, a, a, an incredible strain on production agriculture. And so God, uh, you know, very attuned to what happens uh, in, in, in that space. I'll say one one silver lining, if you can call it that. You know, I mean, we talk about eight to nine percent on the you know inflation on the CPI. If you're a grower dealing with you know 120 plus percent inflation, you know on fertilizer, 86 percent inflation on on fuel, uh, those other numbers look pretty small. I will say, you know, a report we did for the Senate this summer, though, across all the variable cost categories that we that we tracked, the lowest amongst all of those was seed at, at 16 and a half percent, and so. You know, that's that's still a significant in, in, increase too, you know. But not all of these are uniform, and so for me, a lot of it is is going to be focused on how we respond to you know this explosion in input costs we've seen. Yeah, thanks so much, Bart. Janae, anything that you think are going to be on the minds this this upcoming year? We'd love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I think you know November eighth is the election. Uh, November 9th, um, starts the next election cycle. So, you know, just getting through one isn't going to necessarily, um, in my opinion, have a, a major shift because once we get through November 8th, then we're looking at the presidential um, and those sort of, you know, political rhetorics and, and things like that uh, are going to um, maybe not stay exactly the same, but they'll still be, they'll still be politically focused, I, I suspect. Um, but I think, you know, Bart had uh, a lot of really great points there and he mentioned earlier that we're um, still working on things like nominations. We're two years in, shifting after uh, into a new Congress, and we still have kind of several really key positions as of today that aren't, aren't filled yet. So, um, you know, the need to really get folks in to complete the uh, agenda of the Biden administration, I think, is going to be really, really important. 
Um, but then, yeah, like like Bart said, we're dealing with uh, inflation, we're dealing with, with prices, we're dealing with the challenges that the producers face. Um, I think that's that immediate focus is sort of rightfully so going to be going to take a lot of the of the focus of, of members in Congress. And I, and I guess I would just point out from the feed industry, I think that's one of our major challenges is that we're trying to provide um, certainty and uh, uh some predictability for our, our feed companies that are planning much farther out than just two years. Thanks so much. Mary Kay, anything to add? Well, I, I would just add, I think we're going to see some some changes. I mean, virtually everyone says the House is going Republican. That's my belief, too. And uh, I think that's going to make all the changes in the world. As Bart talked about oversight, you know, I anticipate um, EPA will be on the Hill almost on a daily basis. Um, you know, my, my take on that has been that that the leadership saw quite some time ago that there was very likely that either the House or the Senate or both would flip to Republican. And so they wouldn't have the administration in the House and the Senate all the same party. And so they got into this, let's regulate a lot more over the last year. And I think that will, you know, that will not stop, but it's going to come uh, down a bit because you're going to have people up there all the time answering questions. I think the other issue that's, you know, really important is trade. We haven't had much happen on trade. I mean, as Janae just said, the, the trade person at USDA and the trade person at USTR for ag, they're not even in place yet. You know, the administration's been around almost two years. So that has to happen. But we have things like, you know, the the GMO uh, corn not being able to come into Mexico that's going to be in place here in about 14 months. And we've had, I think, struggles getting uh, people to pay attention to that enough. I think you're going to see lots of discussion about that, about new trade agreements, enforcement, et cetera. So uh, I think some big ticket items that we haven't done. And then last, I would just say, you know, Bart, I couldn't agree with you more that we got inflation and we got the debt. And I think it's going to be really a, a really interesting time to be involved with this farm bill. And, you know, I think there's a whole lot of farmers out there, the vast majority of farmers that think we're going to get a whole lot of new money for a safety net. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think certainly you're going to look at high input prices and you're going to say, OK, now's the time to step in. Um, but whether or not uh, agriculture has the wherewithal to be able to get the kind of money that a lot of people think is coming their way is yet to be seen. Yeah, thank you so much. And Laura, I'm going to give you the last word on this question. Well, it's hard to follow Mary Kay. That was a great answer. And I, I agree with Janae's point on the presidential cycle. Again, what that means for the regulatory timelines and the oversight um, means we're kind of speaking at this very micro level on really detailed specific issues and to see about how you tie those micro and macro issues, I think is the way to uh, frame how we are going to advocate in 2023. Perfect. Thank you so much, Laura. Um, you know, Bart, I, th I think you you brought up a lot of good points about some some things that are about to be maybe coming into to view for for midterm elections. I, I think you all did actually. But Bart, what do you think the biggest effects you might imagine could happen in the realm of the of agri food policy? Yeah, I think, and I, I think Mary Kay really alluded to this too. I mean, all all eyes are on whether there will be additional funding going into the new year. You know, the in a lot of ways, it's a corollary to 20 years ago, right? We were coming out of a recession in the ag economy in the late 90s. We were pumping in tens of billions of dollars in ad hoc aid uh, into agriculture, and Congress responded with a bill, you know, the Agri Protection Act of 2000, that paved the way for modern day crop insurance, and that also then resulted in the 2002 
farm bill, all in a move to get away from all of this ad hoc spending. And so to some degree, that could serve as a model for 2023, right? I mean, we've spent, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, trade aid following the trade war with China, you know, you know, the coronavirus food assistance, the wildfire hurricanes, indemnity programs, the new emergency relief program, we just had a litany of ad hoc aid in part because uh, of all the budget pressure over the last decade, you know, the, the farm safety net has continually been shrunk down and tightened. And I think we've seen the result of that, right? This infusion to try to, to serve as a stopgap. And so I think the, the justification for additional resources uh, is certainly there. I think the argument of moving away from ad hoc assistance is a very compelling one. But I also think uh, Mary Kay is spot on that it's not a foregone conclusion that those new resources uh, will be there. Uh, I think we're also against this backdrop now where it, it's very interesting and you know, without going down a rabbit trail or too far in the weeds, you know, SNAP is effectively, you know, permanently authorized. It's an appropriated in, in, entitlement. Crop insurance is permanent law. Conservation under the Inflation Reduction Act was ex extended through 2031. And so a lot of ways, it's really just a few programs, you know, that are effectively up for reauthorization in a farm bill. And so I think there is this growing recognition that, hey, if we're going to do a farm bill, we've got to see some improvements to the farm safety net. But how that intersects with this debt conversation, I think, is uh, I would just be guessing along with everyone else. And so it's going to be interesting to see where things go as we head into the spring. Yeah, absolutely. We have a couple of minutes left, so I'm going to try to, to, to sneak in a, as many questions as I can before we, we are up for time. So um, Mary Kay, I think you, you've already speculated a little bit on this question, but what are you in six witnesses up to talk about climate change today? The party, the, the party in power is going to get five of those witnesses and the party not in power is going to get one. So just the fact that you're like sort of sending a message through some of those hearings, you have the House Republicans uh, take control. That whole thing is going to switch and they're going to get the five uh, witnesses to the one Democrat. That, that makes more difference than you can possibly imagine. Um, but again, I think there's going to be oversight on things that um, on things like trade. And, you know, certainly there's going to be, I think, a, probably a big fight in the in the lame duck about whether we have trade promotion authority and whether we have trade adjustment assistance. You know, the Democrats generally say I'm not going to vote for TPA unless you do TA. And the same is true for the Republicans on the other side. So I think there's going to be a lot of things where, you know, they may try to come to some agreement. They may decide, hey. Let's just roll this over until after the election. I mean, I, I think you could see if the Republicans took the House and the Senate that other than probably the budget issue and happen to redo national defense authorization, they'll spend all their time in the Senate trying to get as many judicial nominations through as they can before a Republican Senate would come into, into play. So it's really hard to judge uh, what might come up first. Uh, but I would say when we think about Farm Bill and educating people, I bet I could ask everybody on this panel, and I, I, I'd be surprised if anybody thinks we're actually going to get this Farm Bill done by October 1st of 2023. It would be wonderful. We would all really like that, but I think that uh, probably it'll be a very difficult lift. Fair enough. Thank you so much, Mary Kate. Um, Laura, from the independent side of things, uh, do you do you anticipate seeing any challenges after midterm elections to your lobbying efforts? Well, I would agree with Mary Kay on that timeline. That's going to be a major challenge, uh, just in terms of programs where some seed companies are interested, like CRP. 
But what I would say from an independent seed perspective, you know, I'm looking at some of the cooked stuff and, you know, R leaning, D leaning, they tend to be pretty accurate. And boy, it, it is a confusing space to try and predict what's going to happen in the Senate. Uh, you know, especially for me in Ohio and Arizona, those two are really tricky, but it's Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, right? And so we, we kind of think, okay, maybe it flips most likely. That's my guess. But at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter because uh, independent seed companies are small businesses and small business issues are bipartisan. They really are. And Main Street is bipartisan. Um, and so I don't see, you know, a huge uh, or any change in our strategy in terms of um, how to help independent seed companies advance their issues. So uh, I, I do think that we see major changes in the politics, but not so much in, in what matters to us. Thank you so much. Um, last question of the day. It's another one for all four of you. So um, if I, maybe this time we'll start with Laura and end with Bart. But um, as we move in and about and their own economic challenges, I think it's always kind of a balancing act. And, and I don't see that getting any easier next year. Thanks so much, Laura. Mary Kay, anything you'd like to add? I I think as a group, we've kind of covered where it is. Yep. Perfect. Janae? I would just add that I think, you know, seed companies and seed producers, as we talk about the farm bill and as we talk about agriculture as a whole, um, oftentimes that conversation starts with the farmer and ends with, uh, you know, the food at the table. And from our perspective, it, it really starts with the seed. I mean, I know we, we uh, harp on that a lot at ASTA, but I think that the seed industry really needs to be a part of this conversation. They are producers. They're producing the seed, the seed that our farmers need. Um, so, you know, as we move past elections, I think um, that's something that we all need to really keep on our mind is how, the, how the, we're making sure that we're putting our, our industry uh, at the table and, and really, uh, you know, pushing the needs that we have as part of this conversation. Sure. And then finally, Bart, we'll end with you today. Sure. Well, you know, I think we're, we're at that stage where a lot of groups are still going through their priority setting process and figuring out, you know, on a policy front, how to posture with respect to the farm bill. But I think you know, one of the things that I uh, I think is going to be most key is the, the fact that if you look at the current makeup of Congress, if you look at all of the retirements, uh, the retirement wave that we're about to navigate, and then also the possibility of some incumbents losing losing their seats, we're going to go into a new year uh, with a huge share of Congress who has never been through a farm bill before, who has never taken a vote uh, on a farm bill before. And so that uh, that represents huge opportunities uh, for agriculture, but it also represents uh, significant challenges. And education is uh, is absolutely uh, the key in, in engaging. And so uh, it's a point Mary Kay made. It's not this is not a one and done sort of uh, sort of business in Washington. It requires and and I know that can be frustrating to folks. You know, well, I went and shared my perspective. Well, you have to share your perspective and then you have to share it again and again and again. And so education is incredibly important. Uh, and I think that's uh, particularly the case with this farm bill uh, where so many members will, will ha have no record uh, because they have not yet taken a vote on a farm bill. Thank you so much. Well, thank you to all four of you, Bart, uh, Janae, Mary Kay, and Laura. I thank you so much. I, I hope everyone in our audience took home something that they can talk about at the dinner table tonight, but I know I certainly did. So that is a big thank you from me. Um, and thank you so much to everyone in our audience who participated. I hope you found something of value.